Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Impact at Scale podcast. I'm Zalda Stur, your host, and I'm here with Jeremy Lee, the CEO and founder of Simply Good. Hi, Jeremy. Great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Jeremy, why don't we just kick off? Why don't you tell us a little bit about Simply Good and the work that you're doing? Sure. Simply Good is actually an eco-friendly home care and personal care brand. Uh, we produce dehydrated cleaning tablets to reduce single-use plastics and carbon emissions. So if you guys often clean at home, you buy a bottle of cleaning solutions and you realize that you it's made out of 90% water and a single-use plastic that you toss out and you're done. That's what Simply Good aims to address. Essentially, we provide the only refill non-liquid-based formulas for consumers to use at home. So that's what Simply Good is about. Incredible to hear that 98% of what we're using in washing detergents or liquids is water. And it seems ridiculous that we're shipping all this water all over the world to different countries and containers. And tell me, like, what was your, I guess, inspiration, motivation? How did you, how did you end up in, in, in cleaning products? So I've always been a sustainable entrepreneur at heart. So this is actually my second startup. Uh, I've always been doing sustainable-based business models. Previously, I founded a company called Ugly Good as well, where we take food waste and we turn it into valuable products. And one of the products that we were creating were natural cleaning solutions for the rinds of orange skins. And that's how I got into the space of home care and personal care, understanding the entire FMCG industry. And when I did a bit more research in, in the industry, I realized that, you know, if you walk down the aisles of supermarkets, I would say nine, over 90% of the aisle contains a plastic bottle and water. So that's a really big problem that sparked off the entire inspiration of Simply Good. And we did more research on how can we reduce single-use plastic consumption. And that's how we derived to a dehydrated-based refill approach. So that's really the, the inspiration and the starting point of how I got into home care and personal care. Then you're not just duplicating or, or recreating the existing soap or cleaning products, you're using probably better technology to develop cleaner and more environmentally friendly products? Yes. So essentially what we have to do is we have to combine a tablet-based technology in the pharmaceutical industry for a traditional home cleaning industry. And this is hard to do because when I went out there uh, three to four years ago, I wanted to create dry-based cleaning products. And I went out all the OEMs and they all produce in a format of a traditional liquid formula and they don't have the right machineries, the right formulations and the process to do so. So we had to then invest a lot of R&D internally ourselves to create the right dry base formulas that could work under water on all conditions, trying to put together a formula within into a tablet as well that would effervesce. That's tricky. So a lot of the technology was done in-house R&D at first. And then now we work with local research institutes to do that as well. Amazing, amazing. And so this is obviously pushing the whole cleaning industry forward, I would imagine? Oh, exactly. We're, you've no idea how traditional this industry is. Well, okay, why don't you talk to me about it a little bit? Because I can imagine that the space for innovation in, in this area is probably a lot closer associated with smells or removing germs rather than it is in packaging, production, and size. You are right. So, I mean, for the past 80 to 100 years, um, huge FMCG companies have focused, uh, have, have taught consumers essentially around what a cleaning product should be, right? So, you, you just now you spoke about efficacy. You know, people talk about removing, removing germs and virus and, and whatnot. That's great as well. And uh, they've also taught us about uh, you know, usually a, a cleaning product today, you walk in the supermarket house, 
you buy something re- relatively cheap that is quite can uh, intoxicate uh, and how you re- achieve those uh, characteristics and other points on for example you mentioned a little bit about you know innovative packaging uh, you know creating a circular economy you know these are not really shared upon uh, and what you do see today is you know these are I would say new in trends that some of these companies are trying to get on the on wagon with onto the bandwagon but they're having some troubles because they've established such a linear all along, right? They've produced in such a inefficient format. Also, as well, like I mentioned, ninety uh, essentially what consumers today are buying a plastic bottle of water. In the- so you know, it's it's difficult then to to push out of this norm that they've already established. And how much of your role is in educating people, firstly about how much water they're purchasing and what that means for the businesses, or what that means for the planet? It's huge. It's huge, right? Because we are trying to change the way you clean or the way you are taught how this product could be used. So when we show someone, for example, a cleaning tablet, often they don't really get it. They don't. They won't know what to do out of the bag. So we share, we, we share with them as of, of a packet of tablets because that's what our products come in, right? But they instinctively want to the to the retail shelves to pick up a bottle that is really free. Things like that. So uh, for, for us to really go out there and educate the consumers, that's priority number one. To show people that, you know, products could be made on a more efficient form factor uh, that could be great for the environment because you're encouraging on the refill-based model system. You're not consuming more plastic bottles. It's basically getting the, rid of the concept of single-use plastics because then you get to reuse the plastic bottles at home. And more so, um, not to ship water because it's so inefficient. So we've got to... Sh- to teach consumers that, you know, you're going to just fill it up with water at home, pop the tablets in, it'll dissolve like an effervescence. Uh, 10 minutes later, you have a ready-made cleaning solution. So I think it's really important from our, from our role in the economy is to share new innovations and show better ways that, you know, the products could be developed for Harmon. And how, how, what are some of the more of the other challenges that you've seen apart from just educating the market? What, what are some of the other challenges you face? I mean, off the bat, it was production and product development, but we've ran past that. So like I shared, when we wanted to mix like the, the economy of production, is not ready because we don't have manufacturers doing much of this. So we had to overcome that by uh, looking at our own R&D, then manufacturing and our own cap- capabilities. Once we got out, uh, next was then sharing the products with, uh, obviously one was educating the consumers of a new one. I think second was also about price uh, it's a very narrow uh, way that, you know, people want the best value for their products. Often, you know, but, you know, with new innovations, it takes a while for cost to, to be dropped. Uh, and that's one of the early challenges we face, right? Trying to price ourselves as competitively to existing market options, especially with limited scale. And with the recent uh, year, we've managed to, to drop our production cost by almost four times. So that's really helping us with scale because this year is all about scale for us trying to, to bring mass consumer adoption and price is, a, is one of the biggest challenges that we've managed to overcome recently as well. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask, what did you do to, to, to sort of come to that price? Because, you know, obviously, when you're thinking about people like Procter & Gamble and Unilever, they're doing everything to bring their price to the lowest point possible. They have the economies of scale. How are you competing with? Yeah, so I, I think first it's about mass, getting to mass production volumes. So in our early days, we were just producing in about 1,000 to 5,000 units, and that's really leading to high cost. And we've done it locally in our lab level, scale, which, which really isn't much volumes. Recently, we've scaled past about 50 to 100 k of production volumes. 
So that has really dropped, helped to drop costs by four times altogether. Uh, and because the way we produce are actually in a form that is much cheaper and easier as well because we don't have to mix liquids. We don't have to carry huge transportation costs. I think that's how we are punching upwards, right? Above our weight category. Because uh, we are streamlining the manufacturing process as well. Um, we're able to then drop costs earlier on as compared to hitting mass critical skills. When you talk about mass critical skills, a lot of companies are producing like 500,000 units and production units. Although we are not there yet, but because we streamline our manufacturing process with a dry base formula, we, uh, operational costs in transportation and storage, that's a way to bring down the net cost to our customers. So, I mean, the next question I'll ask is about your sales strategy, because I understand that right. you started a as a B2C product, and then yes. recently have shifted to B2B. So talk to us a little bit about the thinking behind that process and some of the results that you've seen from that change. So for us, we started the brand in the first as a D2C model. So we went online. It was the easiest, quickest channel to get started as a business. Uh, we managed to uh, a small level of product market fit. So just doing online channels, we've done about 300. So, uh, but the challenge is scaling, right? Because when you're scaling across Singapore, uh, online alone channels are not enough. If you're in the US and UK markets, maybe, uh, and generally there's much, uh, green consumption, uh, you could survive on just a D2C channel. So, but because we are, our, our vision is to be the leader in the space in APEC in the next, in, uh, SAP, and uh, investing in online alone is not enough. So this year, with what we've done is, we've accelerated strategy and go to market in two more additional channels. Uh, one is really stepping on the pedal. So that's the B2B portion that you mentioned, right? Working with brick or mortars, retailers and distributors to scale much. Uh, last month, in fact, we've just launched in uh, two of the local stores, yeah, in Plaza Singapore and uh, Jewel Outlet. Uh, and we're doing a lot more of this this year. So we're in talks with Fair Price Finance, Cold Storage in Singapore. Uh, we're also expanding our reach in Australia and New Zealand. So we're speaking to leading supermarkets there like Walworths and Coles as well. These are new strategies that we are accelerating uh, on the on the other front of the channel where I think we start to see surprisingly int new interest coming from. It's really the corporate sec segment, right? We, because we, we've been so active online, we started to see corporates coming, writing into us to use their products on properties. So that's interesting where we have some real estate developers working with us right now, at, uh, clients within the facilities management as well, or hospitality industries. Uh, uh, innovative form factor to cut costs or another. So that's another kind of value creation and uh, not within the consumer space. This uh, knowledge and awareness about sustainability is significantly less than in other parts of the world. So how, how are you sort of overcoming that when you're speaking to clients? Is it just purely talking about cost and breaking down storage and price? Yeah, so that's very important for us because creating value for the clients outside of sustainability is is the only reason why we can start this. Uh, it's quite foolish if you're just going to say that you're going to provide sustainability values for them because that's not much of a value for them as well today in this part of the world. So you got it right, right? You talk, we start to talk about price points. We start to talk about operational efficiency in storage, uh, in, in cost savings. So for example, this year, our, our value proposition to our, our consumers are very straightforward, right? You don't have to pay double the price for eco product or natural product. That's the one line statement, right? So what it actually really means to a customer is it's, uh, it's a natural product that is safe for your families and then you get uh, sustainability goodness. Um, 
and even for a consumer, space saving, it's inconvenience is a big one because you don't have to go to a supermarket to the supermarket to lug back five liters of water to your home and, and that's crazy inefficient. So we are often um, sharing with our clients that you can receive one year's so in an envelope and you don't have to leave your house. That's, that's a great line. <laughs> yeah, so that's the kind of value that we are thinking outside the box to create for the club. For our club. And uh, I think what's really, what we see success in Singapore at least price is still king, uh, at least, you know, with the economic climate. And what we sustainable brands are making that mistake of pricing their products two times more expensive, even uh, 1.5 expensive than uh, market competitors, why they're not scaling. I think things like that, uh, which is what we are working on for scaling and value for our clients. And like, you know, I'm, in terms of you were just uh, before you were talking numbers and you were saying how many sales you're doing. What, what What's the kind of growth that you've seen in the last, because it's maybe been a couple of years. So what, what what's your growth trick? Uh, so we are, we are just, uh, in our first year, we did about uh, close to about 100k in revenue. Uh, in our second year, we are, we are seeing somewhere in the Yeah. So and this this year, when we are firing on new additional growth projecting, uh, Revenue targets of about three mils. Okay, well, going into retail skill and commercial skill. So this year for us. And you had spoken about you know you set up the company a couple of years ago, which means that it would have been right in the heart of COVID. What was that like? As in, um, you know, setting up a company yeah. is hard enough as it is. Forget when there's like a global pandemic happening. So and that. Yeah. So we are baby. We started right mid of I think May. Uh, where you know, COVID was rampant. I, I think it was a very time for us. Uh, on the flip side, I think there was a there was a good opportunity for cleaning solutions to exist in the COVID environment. So we started to see huge trend for people wanting for safety and hygiene and cleanliness. I think we were on uh, the upside of that. But the challenge as well, it's scaling into COVID was about figuring out the right channels too as well. The, the regular brick and mortars weren't in us in the first year. Because, you know, uh, traffic was low and all. So, I mean, I think it changed really the strategy to go to market for us quite significantly. And now the world, uh, at least in the home care sector, if you're going to buy a cleaning product, you're likely walk to market. Uh, you won't buy something like that specifically online. So it's tough for D2C skill. So there are its own set of challenges uh, for being like us. I, I would say on the flip side, we, we track pretty well, especially for companies. Have you guys raised any funding up until now, or has it been pure on revenue? Uh, it was both revenue, and uh, we, we were we've closed the pre-seed funding of up to about seven k sing dollars to date. Uh, we had really great investors that came along for us. Uh, we had a early stage V that that uh, came along. We had great uh, strategic angels that came around as well. Uh, so I, I think we were, we, we, we had our um, starting point really great where we also had a, a product profit uh, of the revenue day one. So that's how we are, we are, we have grown. And in fact, actually, though, we are also. Uh... In terms of a sustainable business model, what is different from how normal approach going to going? It's super to, towards uh, this question, right? Because this is principally how I, I businesses. Day one, I've always believed in the impact-based business. And I think the real fundamental difference, I mean, both are, are entities, for example, a traditional business and impact-based business. Revenue is still number one, right? Uh, how I, I, I would think it's really different with an impact-based model, it's today a company like ours, we don't have to double-think our CSR matrices. 
it's tied products that we sell. And I think that's the fundamental difference of a really very traditional company. For example, you make your buck somewhere and then you have to kind of create another pro- project or program to give back your, uh, that separate from your key company's KPIs. But for Simply Good, it's very simple, right? Every single statue of sell uh, that's good for the company because of revenue is, is taking one plastic bottle out or is, it's seeing carbon uh, footprint within the supply chains. So that's, I think, the real fundamental difference, right? Creating a business model that is tied down to impacts day one. So there's there's no need for my team to think us out separately. They just need to drive the business as well. And, we'll, and, and if the business is doing well, we'll drive great impact for the economy. So how are you finding the... Because obviously you are putting a different process in, let's say, consumer minds and commercial minds where there's a step. Got to put in the tablet. They've got to create the formula. They can't just use it straight away. Are you finding any pushback yeah. from this? Because I know that people, you know, we live in a delivery uh-huh. world where if something doesn't do an hour, it's a, a tragedy. So are you feeling any pushback or is this very accepting amount of change for the benefit mm. that really valid point uh, when you scale to the market when you're out of a beachhead market right you, you start to from groups of people and some of these group people some of these groups might have pushed back like you know they would think that there's no step uh, this is not how I'm used to it I want to straight away grab it off and then I, I to this group of people uh, they're somewhat required uh, but from the current group that we provide to for example our target markets are young young mothers people that are in space uh, they actually, on the flip side, they find it enjoyable because when they when they when they dissolve the tablets, they bring their kids in. The kids are so excited watching that tablets dissolve, the the bubbles effervesce, the color changes, the sands appear from a, a plain bottle of water. That's engaging and that's fun. So I had we had some customers that bought I think twenty tablets and in a week they say that they are done because their kids kept popping the tablets and dissolving them. <laughs> So they had too much cleaning solutions on the hand. So I think with those kind of groups of people where, you know, they want to have more engagement with the product, it's an experience, this product, um, they would definitely enjoy this. Um, for some customers, they just probably pop the tablets in 20, 30 minutes in advance and they leave it there before the next bottle run out. That's well for them. Is the effervescence necessary or is it oh? It's necessary. <laughs> But we put it as part of the whole, right? Because where we really stand out is, is product experience. And, and that's how I believe that a smaller brand can help to punch upwards in a very competitive space, TG. Uh, yeah, so it's all about the product. We, we've put it as part of the product experience. So what is some of the things that you wish consumers knew about your... Mm. I wish people would knew that they are paying for water most of the time. <laughs> this is a fact that many do I tell them. I wish people would knew to, to know that going onto the shelves, they are grabbing that they can make at home with over 90 water easily. So that's I think uh I think a fact that once people find out that they're buying of uh a, a switch is gonna flip in their head. Even if you don't care about the environment, as a value conscious consumer that is about efficiency, you think that oh this this is it's not a great buy. It's the same thing that the founder of Tyndall said on one of the episodes that we had earlier this year, which was chickens, any meat product, they're 80% water, just like humans are. (laughs) And the notion that in a few years, you're spending all this money to transport chickens and do all of this, you are just using that water consumption 
in a very inefficient way at a time when fresh water. I, do, actually, that's an interesting question. Do, do you need clean water to do this? Or can you, you know, if you're in a country like Indonesia or India where you can't drink the water that comes out of the tap, is this still, still okay? So, yeah, it, it's fine. Tap water. Uh, our formulations are able to do it cold and hot water as well, any kinds of conditions of water. That's why we spend a lot of time R&Ding towards because most products in the tablet format today require a machine or a specific condition for work. Uh, for example, if you if you think back to dishwasher tablets or the laundry tablets that requires high heat water and pressure for it to work, our products are really different because we could use any many tap of the world and you could create a cleaning, cleaning solution straight away on the spot. So that's the innovation that we are bringing to the market. Oh yeah, that, that, that's exactly, that's what's interesting. So what do you, what do you think it's going to take for APAC to raise its city game? Wow. I, I, it's, it's a, it's coffee really, uh, from government driven to businesses, to consumers and the heart of it, all consumers will drive voting dollars. So if people start buying these products, then we'll hit, it's a backwards uh, system. So people buy on the, on the, on the ground, this will produce. And then uh, the economy will fix itself in, in that manner. So I think really to scale sustainability, first, uh, second thing, I think the products needs to scale on its own, i.e. means to be better or, or, or outperforming its existing categories or offering new values people would switch. And I think like, for example, if you look at great models of that being done, like EV vehicles, I personally look at very closely. And I love how Tesla has been exploring to scale. You know, providing uh, uh, electric vehicle, you know, modifying the entire experience, you know, providing uh, affordable driving, things like that. So I think it really requires a great product to scale. It looks like your consumer uh, adoption just will come along and along with government structure. I mean, it's so interesting because the number that when I talk to them are doing tell me that the environmental impact has to be almost like an unintended side consequence <laughs> if they want to be successful. It has to be a cheaper product. It has to be a better product. And it also coincidentally just happens to be better for the planet. Now, that may be a change. Yeah. Uh, and I know that there is, at the moment, if you go into the supermarket, there is very clearly green premiums on a lot of items. You just yeah. have to look at the price of oat milk versus regular milk. <laughs> impossible burger versus a regular burger. I mean, you're an impossible burger. You're talking about something that could be 10 and 20 X the price of, of, of regular meat. And people are actively making it just various reasons and, and oftentimes on it. So, you know, how does how does that mindset? I I think it's it's really like going back to the basics and fundamentals. Your podcast in the market, just saying that you're sustainable alone is not a good enough factor. I, I really like the statement you mentioned at first. At least, and that's the principle as well. Uh, sustainability shouldn't be your key selling point. It should almost be like an after consequence, right? Your product got to be so good that people are buying you for those reasons. At least in APEC. In the US and UK markets, because there's already a very educated market about such things, and that could be their main decisions. In this part of the world, we're not there yet. We will get there in 20 years of active education in the next generation, I would say, at least. You see it coming up. But the people that are buying these things and driving the change, your product give a real value. I mean, I don't know if you've, if you've noticed, but I, I feel that sometimes when you talk about products being planet, in, in fact, in APAC, sometimes people 
cautious. Mm. So <laughs> if if they hear if they hear better for the planet, they assume expensive or they assume that they've had to give up something in order for it to be so the 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 notion of them being safe and secure in what they've always done. And then you come and tell them that there's something that is fundamentally going to be radically different because it is better for the planet and what you've been doing is not. And that you can take a look at the EV cars as a great example mm -hmm. of where there's a product that should, especially in a place like Singapore, I'm not going to speak for the rest of Asia, but the rest of the place yep. seems to make sense because you're traveling short distances, you, you only need to charge your car maybe once every week, once every week and a half, the electricity is infinitely cheaper than petrol. All of these decisions make it seem like a complete no-brainer for you to have an electric car in a, in a country like this. However, the take-up has not been as quick as other places have seen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think really, it's part of the world, you've got to create value for your clients again, right? This you're just thinking about, uh, I basically uh, wanting to say that people will buy my product because it's, it's impactful. Oh, you are so gravely mistaken. You're in for a very tough lesson in the world of business. <laughs> mm. No, absolutely. And especially in the, there is, it's changing with the younger generation and people seeming to, but it's not ultimately, especially in these large family-owned businesses, there is a lot of decision-making power at the very top mm, yeah. and usually that top you and usually is a baby boomer <laughs> uh start to transition that power maybe to the next generation and that are happy to to, to exactly. uh, as long as they can i think that's what i'm that's what i'm seeing is that when that shift happens there is much more shift towards a uh, sustainable products and goods but until that shift happens it can be challenging yeah it'll take a while at least it, i would say yeah. Well, Jeremy, look, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. Thanks so much for your time, and I, I really appreciate it. No problem. It was nice speaking to you.